Hi, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Scale by Intercom. Scale is our dedicated content resource on the Inside Intercom blog, where you can find a wealth of materials, including podcasts, of course, that explore how businesses are driving growth through customer relationships. Every second week, you'll hear from guests on a range of topics, from customer experience to sales and marketing, and hear about the strategies and frameworks that they've used to chart new paths for their customers and their companies. This week, we are delighted to welcome 360 Learning's Director of Content, Joey Chan, who's also the star of their popular B2B reality docuseries. Yes, you did hear that right. I chatted to Joey to hear about the making of Onboarding Joey and their recent release of Series 2. Joey also shares her insights on how to work unexpected new formats like this into your content marketing strategy and how to balance creativity with lead generation. She's got lots of actionable advice on this. So let's head over to the studio and hear from her. Joey, you are so very welcome along to Scale by Intercom today. We're delighted to chat to you about your work at 360 Learning. But to kick us off, though, do you want to give us a little bit of background on yourself? Sure. And thanks for having me today. So I'm currently working at 360 Learning as Director of Content. Before 360 Learning, um, I was working in other startups, but in similar positions, uh, working in content marketing, you know, doing lead generation and inbound marketing, but like with a strong focus of telling brand stories and, you know, creating different types of formats of content. But actually I kind of fell into content marketing a little bit by accident. I actually, you know, have a background in literature and film studies, screenwriting and all that. Like when I was young, I thought I was going to be a professor in university. Um, That was my career path, or at least my parents' uh, career path for me. But like, you know, out of a random summer holiday in Paris, I I turned a gap year into like a full expat life. Now I, I live in Paris and I work in content marketing and it's, it's great. Well, to be fair, I mean, there's a lot of elements to that history in terms of, you know, filmmaking, in terms of education and storytelling that I think is probably very well expressed (laughs) in your world today. And we'll hear a little bit more about that later. Yeah, looking back, yeah, I I didn't see it at that time, but now, yeah. So that brings us to your work in 360 Learning. You joined the company at a pretty interesting time. How did that come about? I was approached by the brand director at that time, who also re- recently joined not too long ago, when 360 Learning decided to really invest in building a strong brand to differentiate ourselves as we have very ambitious goals to grow in the US and globally. The company historically ha- has been very successful in paid acquisition, demand gen activities, and that's kind of how the company has grown over the years. But you know, our CEO saw that it's very important in the long run to have a strong brand. So then, you know, you you bring about organic growth, which is much more sustainable over the long term compared to paid acquisition. So I was approached to kind of, you know, help build that organic content brand strategy about a year and two months ago. And no regrets so far. It's been a crazy like adventure. I've learned so much in just a year and two months. And we still have like, you know, a lot of ambition and growth coming in the very near future. And, you know, in that year and a half, Joey, I mean, you've done some 
really, really interesting. I'd even go so far as to say out there stuff in terms of <laughs> marketing. I mean, a lot of our audience will probably be familiar with your reality show or docuseries. Which do you prefer? Uh, yeah, it depends on who I'm talking to. I think we pitched it on Product Hunt as a reality TV show of for us. B2B and maybe more docu-series when we're talking to more serious customers or investors so then it doesn't sound so Kim Kardashian. I like it. Well, look, our audience will probably vary between the two of those. So we'll have to- <laughs> well, it's called Onboarding Joey. And for mm-hmm. those of us who haven't watched it yet, it's now on a second series. So can you share what the series is and what the content actually entails. Sure. So Onboarding Joey is a docu-series produced by 360 Learning, and it's about exactly what the title says, Onboarding Joey. So the pitch was that, you know, go behind the scenes of a hyper-growth startup with our original docu-series, follow Joey through her first 90 days as she starts a new job. So it was literally when I started my first day, my video producer welcomed me with a camera and asked if I wanted to be in a docuseries and that he would be filming me every day and will shoot and produce an episode every week for my first 90 days. So 13 weeks, 13 episodes, completely unscripted. Amazing. And (laughs) in joining 360 Learning then, was the series like ever on the table, you know, before you arrived on that first day? It was not like explicitly on the table, but I knew that they had, you know, a lot of ambition to do, you know, original and kind of bold storytelling. And that's what kind of I signed up for. And it just nicely, you know, came together that, you know, I'm starting this new job. Onboarding is one of our use cases and I'm a content person. So I'm, you know, I'm in for experimenting different content formats. We have a video producer. So, you know, all the stars aligned to to come together and we decided to go for it and do something different. Obviously, when we just when we first started, it sounded like a bit of a crazy idea, kind of a big bat that we're making, but we had no idea where it would land or how far it would bring us. So it was kind of a risk that we took and kind of paid off. So yeah, it absolutely has. It's paid off in spades. It's it's actually, you know, I've watched it. It's a great series. I really enjoyed it. Thank um, you. And the storytelling and the narrative arc in it is is really enjoyable. But I'm, I'm just curious, you know, where did that sit within your overall content strategy and ambition for when you started this role as content director? That's a very good question. I think that right now there is like content marketers, especially in B2B, are in a very tricky spot because obviously there is this like kind of more traditional path of content being very focused around blogging, SEO, and, you know, just growth uh, through a lot of like regular publishing blog posts and all that. And we need to do that because, you know, if you want your your brand to reach customers in their buyer's journey and when they're searching for different keywords and you want to show up, so you need to be doing that. But at the same time, just doing that alone is not enough for you to stand out as a brand and to be memorable. And so like content marketers kind of have to do this like, you know, hybrid where you have this consistent, you know, SEO content machine going on for your blog, but then you kind of need these like more epic moments of campaigns or fun projects that really stand out and 
catch people's attention and that might be slightly less scalable but like are more like provocative and and memorable so that's kind of like how we think about our content as in like we have this more like down to earth or more traditional aspect where we we work on our blog we work on our seo strategy and that is consistent and then we have like you know Every year we think of like something kind of crazy that we try out. Sometimes it flies, sometimes it doesn't. And this kind of sits in that category of like our different content projects. Yeah, and that that you actually kind of alluded to something I was going to ask you about a little bit later in the conversation. You know, when a format like that isn't necessarily scalable, you're clearly quite comfortable to, for ideas like that to kind of shine short and bright then I take it. Yeah, I think when we talk about scalability, maybe it's not just about like how much you can replicate it, but it can be also how you maximize what you can get out of it. So sometimes it's like doing a season two, sometimes it's just promoting the hell out of season one um, and making sure, you know, you you get the most out of, you know, the, the production that you've put in and, you know, just promote it in different aspects or slice it into different formats. You know, the, the slicing the turkey is a very popular way of repurposing content for, among content marketers. Sometimes it works, but I think it, it really depends on a case-by-case situation. Other than onboarding Joey, we also had another video series not series so much, but like we did um, something called Master SaaS. So it was a, a total ripoff of Masterclass where we, you know, emulated the same grand music and like very dramatic setup with, you know, an expert sharing his expertise in front of the camera with and, and in a short class. And that has also got a lot of great feedback. And that might be more scalable because we can readapt and take that same format and, you know, get other experts to share different topics. We were not able to do that because of COVID, but that might be a more scalable idea that we will do more of in the future. Whereas for onboarding Joey, it takes a lot of circumstantial, you know, elements, you know, need to be someone who just started their job and someone who's willing to put herself out there. And then there was also like this craziness that wasn't expected with COVID and the pandemic that kind of increased the the tension and the drama aspect of the show that might not be, you can easily replicate um, and do again. The rest of the world would probably thank you for not trying to replicate that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, at their very core, Joey, those two bigger ideas, for want of a better phrase, that you described there between Master Sass and onboarding Joey, at their core, though, they do speak to 360 Learning, the company, the product, and everything that you offer. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're kind of the content marketer's dream and that they are anchored in that that philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Of course, like you want to find creative ideas, but they should always kind of, you know, have a connection to what you're doing. It's not like we're just like Netflix where we're producing interesting shows for people to watch with no like end goal, because in the end, if you're a SaaS company or even an agency selling services, there is kind of this element where you, you ultimately do want to, you know, create this funnel where at some point there is an acquisition element to it. So it's a bit different than like media companies where all they want is entertain and and create engagement. Absolutely. And in terms of selling these ideas into internal stakeholders, not a mind convincing yourself to do it, did you come up against any challenges there? 
I think that I I believe my video producer did when he pitched the idea before I joined the company. But luckily, we have a culture of like being strategically provocative, I think, as a company. So the CEO is very aligned with doing things differently and trying things that other companies are not doing. But of course, we still had to kind of build a business case that, you know, we onboarding Joey uh, highlights an aspect of our use case that is onboarding and we'll be talking about like learning and it's not just like a catchy idea where we are like, you know, we have people twerking for no reason. And, you know, so we kind of have to sell a little bit to tie it with business impact to get that buy-in, but it was not terribly difficult because of the company culture. Brilliant. Well, that's great to hear. And then, I mean, look, you you did reference it there, but with the pandemic hitting, your team kind of had to turn on a dime, presumably in terms of what the original idea was and produce a very different series to what might have been anticipated. What was that period like? And did you ever consider dropping the project? Yeah, that's a great question. Obviously, my producer couldn't follow me around anymore after we went remote because you know, in the beginning, he was literally following me around with his iPhone um, every day in our meetings and everything, <laughs> documenting everything. And when we had to work remotely, that all had to come to a halt. I started my job and, you know, the series two, three weeks before the pandemic hit. So, of course, at that time, we had no idea how long it was going to last. We didn't know if it was just, you know, a month where everything would stop and then we would resume and go back to normal. Little did we know that we, you know, a year later we're still here, but we thought about putting it on hold because, you know, we thought it might resume in a short period of time. But then we saw like all these talk shows like Jimmy Fallon doing home editions and and just adapting the format. So we thought, okay, maybe we can try to do the same because there is this element of, you know, my onboarding being 90 days and at the end of it, we would find out whether I make my probation period, like whether I pass my probation or not. So if we don't continue, then that storyline is is basically ruined. So we kind of had to stick to it. And luckily, um, my partner is also a filmmaker with cameras and stuff. So he started filming me instead. Um, so we switched that format. And luckily, like people responded uh, very well. And And since then, we never thought about dropping the project. Yeah, well, I think, you know, when you watch the series, it comes across, it really speaks to the moment. And if nothing else, it'll actually be quite an interesting record for you to have in decades to come to to look back on that period in a way that, you know, a lot of the rest of us don't. Absolutely. Did you ever feel, though, that given what was happening and, you know, so many of us during that period and even still felt that sort of blurring of the line between the private and the personal and suddenly working from home. And it was quite a lot for people. But obviously with you, that line was blurred even further. Did did you find that a challenge at all? Yeah, I definitely felt that I was exposing my personal life quite a bit on the docuseries. We made that decision from the beginning to show the personal and emotional aspect of onboarding because that's what's interesting and an angle that that's not told usually in B2B content. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we went even further, I think, as the pandemic went on and, you know, I was sharing about my family and, you know, at some points, you know, we, we talked about very personal things. 
So, I mean, I, I definitely had doubts about how much of it I wanted to share or whether it has, you know, kind of put me in a quite a vulnerable position. But then I think from the responses that I've got from viewers and my friends and, and family, they, they, you know, really resonated with what I was sharing. And in the end, what's personal is what's universal in a way. And I think that's really what has made this, the show successful because people can see themselves in, in my journey and experience. And so I, I think, I feel like sometimes it could be intense at some moments, but it was worth it in the end, uh, just because of, of how well people resonated with it. And like you said, now as our homes become our offices, there's really no like clear boundaries between personal and private and professional. And it really like highlighted how our, our lives have changed and our way of working needs to change. And also how employers need to consider employees' personal lives at work too, because when you're working with people behind the screen, sometimes we, we forget, you know, there's this whole personal aspect to every employee's life. And, and I wanted to, to bring that highlight that in the show to kind of remind everybody that, you know, every employee is a human being and they all have personal lives and problems. Yeah. And, you know, what a great thing for 360 Learning to capture, you know, that onboarding process at a time when onboarding as an experience has has changed so much. And yeah. you know, across the two series, you can kind of, you can see that and and see how these tools that we have at our disposal can actually help the the person on the other side of the screen, as you say. Mm, absolutely. And you have to completely rethink how you integrate someone into a team when there's no personal or human contact, uh, physically at least. Like, how do you make people feel welcomed into a team and part of a culture that, you know, usually requires a lot of physical meetings or or gatherings or team lunches and none of that could happen now. So like, how do you, when there's no more, you know, water cooler conversations, how do you still keep that engagement and, and foster that culture? And it's, uh, we haven't figured it out either. So it's, it's really, I think, um, something that everybody, every company is learning to, to adapt to. For sure. And, and what was the audience reaction like and, and the return on investment for your team? The show generated a lot of interest and buzz from day one. I think the idea was fresh and bold and, you know, it's still a format that is not so common in B2B. I mean, a lot of companies do episodic video or podcast series, but usually not like dramatic or, you know, reality TV show, like with a plot and cliffhangers and tension. So we're able to get a lot of views and, and you know, people talking about it from the beginning. But in terms of ROI, I think that's an interesting question because in the beginning, we actually set up a subscriber target and also I think an MQL or lead target. And then quickly we found that, you know, because it's an ungated piece of content that anybody can can look at and, and watch, there isn't like necessarily like this lead gen aspect is not the best way to measure the show's um, success. Yeah. So quickly we actually readjusted the um, KPIs and measured it more on awareness level because it is an awareness-y type of content, really top of funnel. And it didn't make sense to have a, a bottom of funnel metric. 
So yeah, in the end, we're we're looking at more viewers and just traffic for the show. That makes a lot of sense. And I was actually going to ask you about mm-hmm. KPIs because it do, you know, even just watching it or talking about it, it does feel, as you say, like very top of funnel content. So it almost seems like you wouldn't have been set up for success if no. <laughs> those KPIs had been otherwise. Were there any other KPIs that you used? I mean, aside obviously from the obvious one of you getting to keep your job. um we we're also starting to use it as um an hr employer brand piece of content so we've noticed that a lot of our candidates mention onboarding joey in their interviews and say like oh i've I've seen the show and um, i really like the culture or like i thought it was super interesting or bold for the company to have done something like this so we're looking at you know the mentions of candidates talking about the show and starting to also look at our press mentions. So like, you know, backlinks and just quoting us in blog posts or, you know, even like, you know, podcast interviews like this one um, to to kind of look at how much conversation it's driving for, for the company. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. What advice then would you give to other content creators who maybe are trying to to find a similarly intimate or conversational way to, to engage with their audience? A lot of people actually have asked me advice on how they can start a show like that. And I think it's really... I mean, obviously there's the technical side of things that, you know, you need to have the right people with the video skills or editing skills or or something like that. But more importantly, like, you know, it's probably the approach and the tone, as you said, that needs to be more personal and conversational. And I think it's normal that most of us feel like we need to kind of speak and present ourselves differently at work or in marketing. And that's why we often find these corporate jargons and business speak that bleed through most content marketing. But like, ironically, our desire to seem professional sometimes stops customers or prospects from connecting with us on a 
on an emotional or personal level. So I feel like, you know, just thinking of how we can speak and, and communicate more like we do normally in real lives. And, you know, I'm the same person at work as I am in my personal life. And I think when you embrace that, people can can really feel it and they appreciate that and, and they connect with you in a much deeper level. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I suppose if you want to invite openness, you have to be open yourself. Yeah. You know, I find it so interesting as content marketers, we are always, you know, as as a group, we're looking always for new ways to invite those conversations with our audience. And and because you've been successful in avoiding the pitfalls of this, I think in your two series, Master Sass and Onboarding Joey, what's your advice for making sure that, you know, companies don't miss that opportunity while also avoiding jumping on every bandwagon going? Because there is that risk there, I think. Yeah, I think you do have to have a plan. So you want to you want to be responsive and react to, you know, what's happening in the world and in your your customers' lives so then it's relevant. But I think it's it's better to create conversations with your audience by making connections between what you're already doing with what's happening uh, rather than like, you know, just waiting for something to happen and then think of a marketing idea that responds to it, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's very clear, but like basically we... Well, that does make sense. It's being proactive about these things rather than being reactive. Yeah, basically. So we we started onboarding Joey before there was a pandemic and we were going to do it anyway. Obviously, it was much less maybe uh, universal as an experience, but, you know, we wanted to talk about what it's like starting a new job in a company and, you know, the behind the scenes of a startup and that kind of experience. And then it became something different because of COVID. But we we already had a plan that we were going to do anyway. Same for Master SaaS. So it wasn't us reacting to what's happening um, and then thinking of doing something. Yeah. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And so as season two has drawn to a close, what are the key learnings that you and your team will take going forward from the, the whole project and including Master SaaS as well? I think that the um, the biggest takeaway is for our team at least is um to take risk cuz sometimes it pays off and when it does it's great and there is enough like you know cookie cutter type of content out there so we need more original and different ideas even for us ourselves content marketers when you're working on the projects you want things that are exciting and and kind of, you know, make you look forward to going to work every day. So, you know, I think the biggest takeaway is to to take bolder bets in in your content. But another thing that is maybe more on the on the distribution side of things, I think we actually haven't thought as much about distribution than we have on production. And I think the series or both of our projects could have maybe be even more successful if we had thought about distribution a bit more from the conception of the project. So sometimes, you know, content marketers spend most of their time on producing a great piece of content, but not so much about, you know, okay, how do we then get people to see it? And so, yeah, that that's what we have taken away and we are going to invest more in social media and on distribution and having like proper strategies to to promote our content. 
You know, that's such good advice because I think you can't always plan for that big idea, but you can certainly plan for distribution and discovery. And has this impacted your content strategy going forward? Definitely. I think before this learning, so to speak, we have a way more packed uh, content production schedule. And now we've actually decided to produce less, but spend more time thinking about, okay, what is the launch? What is the distribution strategy? So we're doing less, but hopefully more impactful content. Quality, not quantity. But yeah, no, I think think that's something that you know, a lot of content teams do step back from at various points and realize that they need to just find that right balance there for themselves. So what yeah. next for the content arm of 360 Learning? Have you any big plans <laughs> or projects uh, on the horizon for the rest of 2021? Well, we are uh, scaling into new markets. So obviously we're continuing to grow in the US, but like we also want to grow more in new markets in the UK, in France, and possibly opening up new markets. So I have to start thinking about how, you know, to localize and, you know, basically replicate our, our content strategy for these all these new markets, which is going to be a big challenge. And I am also launching a podcast soon. So that's very exciting and different new video formats coming up. We are also publishing a book next year. So a lot of work to be done for the in 2021 before that. Well, that all sounds very exciting, particularly the podcast, of course. Um, <laughs> Joey, before I let you go, this series is, is generally about hearing how companies scale their growth. But I'd love to know if there was a key event outside of onboarding Joey, of course, in your career that helped you scale professionally. I don't know if I can call it a key event, but I, I think that what has really helped me grow in my career is joining a company that's really investing in my department. So not just a company that's growing fast, but growing in your specific department, meaning like you, they are investing in the marketing team, or if you're a product marketer, uh, if you're a product designer, then they're investing in product design because I've joined companies where they are growing, but they are not growing my particular department. So, and that makes all the difference on how, how, how much you can grow professionally in that company. Absolutely. Well, there's the opportunity there to scale with the company. Exactly. On the right team. Lastly, then, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? I mean, obviously, we would love to embed episode one of Onboarding Joey in the blog post. But outside of that, is have you a Twitter or a LinkedIn that they can contact you on? Yeah, LinkedIn would be the best place to find me. Joey Chan with a dot after Chan. We'll link to that as well. And listen, Joey, it has been such a pleasure chatting to you today. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Joey Chan. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps people like you find their way to our podcasts. We'll be back next week with another great episode for you. We hope you'll join us.